My ladies, gentles, in you come, and those who are neither, or some, come hither all such tales to hear of misrule, magic, flight, and fear, of things that unleash pandemonium, and heroes to defend us from them. And for those who thusly need informing, in the show notes you'll find content warnings. So cautioned, audience, come with me to the Pantaloon Society. Episode 11. Beneath the Society. Part 1. Veronica? Veronica! Oh. Is she? Yeah. <laughs> when Joe and Jen reached the office previously belonging to Dr. Harrington, she had been dead for some time. A pool of blood had formed beneath her chair, and the back of her very sensible yellow blouse was a dark brown, below a neat stab wound directly over the presumable location of her heart. She would have been able to tell how accurate the location was, Joe thought, had she not been dead. Her head rested on an old book, and her eyes were open and staring blankly across the room. I've never seen a body before. I have. It's just like on TV. There is no real need to close the eyes of a dead person, to make them appear to be merely sleeping, other than the comfort of the living. If the dead care about where they're looking, they either do not or cannot inform us of this. Nevertheless, Joe reached over and gently closed Dr. Harrington's eyes. The fragile lids were quite cold beneath his fingers. Bye, Dr. H. Her laptop's on. What was she looking at? Case files from the clown killer, like she said on the answer phone message. Where's the book? Oh, it's the compass book. It's no use anymore since the compass was lost in the 80s. Compass? We used to... The society, yeah, we used to have this uh, compass that pointed to people with presents instead of north. Yeah, it's the list of people who used to look after it. Uh, she must have been looking to see who I did last before. Before the clown killer got it? Who was it? I can't tell. It's... She... It's the blood. Ooh. Well, we can't stay here. It's been a while since she... We can't be sure the killer's gone. He could still be around watching society, even in the building. Where do we go? If he's got a compass that finds people with presents, they could just home in on us with it. We'll have to try and lose him. Keep moving till we can come up with a plan. Dr. H said there's a trapdoor in the old prop room that goes into a sewer. Yeah, there is, isn't there? Actually... 
Uh, Percy, the fellow who chained me up years ago, he said there's a way out through there. Uh, a good way down, there's a ladder. Leads up to a drain cover. Uh, comes out near the British Museum. So we head north, until we find the ladder. Yeah, we'll keep moving. Uh, there's a torch in the props room as well, I'll get that. Are we just going to leave out there? Like that? <sighs> no, you're nice. Joe awkwardly picked up Dr. Hangden's body. She was as light and frail as he'd expected. He laid her out on the table. Jen fetched one of the brightly coloured blankets from the sofa and spread it over the still form. Tears ran down their cheeks, and they wiped them on their sleeves, sniffling. <laughs> we'll be back for you. In the aforementioned properties room, on the other side of the wall for my grieving heroes, a dark shape stood in the shadow of a large wardrobe full of sparkly costumes. He was very still and very quiet, and he rested his hand on the knife at his hip, loosely, relaxed, patiently awaiting his opportunity. We'll come back and see she's done the right way, I promise, but we need to get out of here. Okay. The dark figure cursed under his breath and pressed himself against the wardrobe as the two pantaloon performers hurried past him, Jen still wiping their face and Joe shoving batteries into a heavy torch. The two of them hauled the heavy trapdoor open and descended into the darkness. The dark figure waited a minute or so until he could be sure his prey had moved a good distance away from the trapdoor underground. He calmly took a swig from a water bottle on his other hip and followed them down beneath the society. It smells great down here. It's a sewer. What do you expect? Oh, fair point. I suppose this would be one of the activities of the... Thames that they covered it over to make sewers. Like the fleet. So as long as we walk in the opposite direction to the flow... Flow? Hey, more like schlop. As long as we walk up schlop, uh, we should be heading roughly north. How long do you reckon? No idea. June? Yeah. Uh, tell me a story to pass the time. I didn't stop me thinking about... Veronica. Yeah. What kind of story? Oh, I don't know. Uh, your life story. Really? I was half kidding, but alright, yeah. Where should I start? I'm from Liverpool. Really? I'd never have guessed. Watch it, you. Hehe. <laughs> Bootle, actually, between Anfield and the mouth of Mersey. Parents were Methodists, mum was raised that way, but uh, dad used to drink and get into trouble when he was younger. He cleaned his act up and started going to the Naked Mission. Lovely building that. Uh, yellow and orange brickwork, like a palace inside. Did it up with lottery money recently. So, we never had a drink in the house, and to be honest, I didn't like it much. I tried it, don't see the appeal. Got an elder sister, Annie, and younger brother, Stevie. That's right, I'm the middle child, could you tell? Nah, I'm an only child myself. Stevie died in a car accident back in the 90s. He did drink. I guess it skipped me and Annie and uh, went to him. I'm sorry. It is what it is. Uh, Annie's still with us. She used to manage a supermarket in Manchester before she was hired. I've got two nieces by her and the eldest has their own kids now. Uh, send them birthday cards when I remember. The two of visits, I reckon, if we survive this. We were tight when we were kids, Annie, Stevie and me. 
Sounds nice. Big family. Yeah, it does sound that way, doesn't it? But uh, just because that didn't drink doesn't mean he was a great person. Back then you could treat your wife and kids a lot worse than you can today. Especially if everyone thinks you're a good source who goes to church. He used to quote the Bible. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. Proverbs. Yeah, one of them. But honestly, that was pretty normal back then. Most people felt the back of their dad's hand if they cheeked him or something. Stevie did. Not more than me, Annie. He was a white one, Stevie. It was because of him I used my present the first time. What happened? Dad was angry at him. Something stupid. I think he lost his skilled tie. And he was uh, yelling at Stevie, and Stevie was stood in the corner of the living room, and I just wanted him to stop. To leave Stevie alone, and I kind of reached into his head, and I said, Dad, and I told a joke. Don't even remember properly what it was. Might have been a knock-knock joke. He loved those. And suddenly he started laughing, like he couldn't stop himself. Stevie didn't know what was going on. Dad had to leave the room. By the time he'd calmed down, the tide didn't matter anymore. I didn't even get into trouble for this accident. Stevie thanked me afterwards. He thought I'd just done something random to get Dad to leave him alone, which I kind of did. Once I realised I could do it, did it all the time. I was always a bit of a joker, uh, so it wasn't surprising. I didn't get bullied to school myself. I was big even as a kid. Uh, people thought I was stupid and didn't bother me. But sometimes I'd stop kids picking on other kids. Nobody noticed. They just thought it was funny and good at calming people down. You'll notice when you work for the society, people come across weird stuff and they mostly rationalise it away and forget about it. Or they go conspiracy nut or religious about it. The last kind can be bad, but uh, most people are the rationalise it away kind. Sick of the light, dodgy curry, whatever. Uh, where was I? Uh, school, stopping bullies. Yeah, I never finished school. Why not? You like this? I ran off to join the circus. You never. I did. It got to be so much at home. And he got married and left and Stevie started rebelling. I couldn't stand the shouting anymore. I thought, I'm funny. I'll be a clown. It was good, the circus. Like my family, but different. Less, uh, what's the word? When you say one thing and you do something else. Lying? No, like saying you're a good Christian and being a nice... Ooh, hypocrisy! Yeah, less hypocrisy. Just, er, uh, lots of folks all working together to make the show happen. People like me as well who didn't want to be at home anymore. I went all around the UK and onto the continent with that circus. Then, one year we came back to the northwest, St Helens I think it was, and ran into one of my mum's friends. She said Dad had died. Heart attack, a few years back. So I went home. Mum cried when she opened the door. She thought I was dead. Aww. After she cried, she was angry. And then she phoned Annie and told her that she cried as well. Did you stick her in? Yeah, I didn't want to leave Mum on her own anymore. So yeah, I stayed in Bootle. I got jobs on seafronts up and down the coast. Sometimes as far as Blackpool in the summer. Did a bit of clowning, a bit of waitering, a bit of selling cheap tat. Sometimes I worked on the rides. Bought an old Punch and Judy, did it up in my mum's backyard. Got gold paint all over her days. That's where I met Linda, my wife. You're married? You never said you were married. <sighs> yeah, it's, it's hard to talk about Linda. Oh, she... I'll get to it. It's just, yeah. So one summer I was in Southport, near the pier. Skinny old thing, that pier, one of my favourites. 
I was on a fag break between Punch and Judy shows on the beach. I used to smoke back then, but Veronica made me quit. And I got talking to the woman who was selling candy floss across the way. She was a right sarky cow. We got on like a house on fire. The next day she was there at the same time. She told me later she was hoping to run into me again. Next day she wasn't. Day after that she was. So I asked her out. To dinner. Nice fish restaurant. She took the piss out of me for it, but she showed up. We started going out. I went home at the end of summer. I visited her loads and phoned her nearly every day. Mum got annoyed about the phone bill. Eventually she moved down to Bootle and we got a place a couple of streets away from Mum. We got married in Southport. Mum cried and his eldest with the ring bearer. Then his wedding dress had to be let out a bit. She was already starting to show. <laughs> Can't wait, eh? Yeah, I was happy. Life was good. I had a home and a family and a baby on the way. Are you okay? Oh, memories. This isn't going to have a happy ending, is it? I was... I was working. Not far from home. On the riddle somewhere. And it was the evening. I popped off to do an errand and left the Punch and Judy booth for five minutes. When I got back, somebody smashed it up and still missed Mr. Punch. Just yobs, I think. Tried to set fire to it too, but I'd fireproofed it because I'm not thick. I folded up what was left and I took it home. It was late and when I got home, Linda wasn't there. The emergency bag was gone too, the one she'd get ready for the hospital when her time came. I phoned three different hospitals trying to find where the ambulance had taken her. I found which one eventually. By the time I got there, it was too late. Neither of them had made it. It was a boy. I'm sorry. It was a long time ago now. I tried to stay a while after the funeral, but I couldn't be in the house. Everything reminded me of Lenza. Mum was getting on, so she decided to move in with Annie. I packed up and left again. Found a carnival, went on the road, gave up and all, all that, pretty much. Love, family. Some people get that, I guess. Not me. Nobody sits. There was someone I got close to. Years later, I was with the circus again. Me and the big cat tamer, Tony. We shared a caravan for a while and we got pretty close. There were a couple of times when he was drunk and I was lonely. And we messed about. Really? Yeah, doesn't bother me. You put us in a storm, you know. George, you bet. Maybe. Do I get one of them flags? Uh, it's pink, purple and blue. Nah, I don't like it. Can I have one of the others? Uh, the rainbow one covers all sorts. I'll do. I like rainbows. Anyway, I've gone from place to place since then. I don't go back to the bootle though. Hurts too much. Next circus I was with, I left due to uh, creative differences. By which I mean the manager who took over was a prat. And uh, what did Veronica say? Uh, a sorcerer. He was a sorcerer. What was that when you made Dr. H? Yeah, we dealt with that fella between us, me and Veronica, and her partner at the time, uh, Angela. Tiny little thing, Angela. Used to be a ballerina. The two of the master wanted to work for the society, and well, they told me how good the money was. It's really good, even for London. Commensurate with the risk, Veronica always says. Said. So, when I was first working with the society, I got assigned to partner with Percy. He was a punch and duty professor from the old families from the Western Supermare. We should have passed that ladder by now. Have we missed it? Maybe. Let me check my phone. Does that work underground? Seems to, yeah. 
I will pass when you said it should be. British Museum's back there. I have to go back. But what if the clown killer's back there? Can't know that. Alright, back we go. Keep an eye on your phone, will you? See it when we get close. Sure. It's your turn. Well, life story. Don't mind. Huh. Okay. Once upon a time, in Melgai, there was a little person who lived... No, actually, I'll go earlier. Once upon a time, two people met studying law at Glasgow. One of them was called Grace, and she was half Scots and half Canadian. Her pa was in the Navy, and one day he brought a wife home from the Gold Coast and shocked the neighbourhood. Granny and Cassie's family were weavers. Her pa used to weave the cloth called Kinte. It's this beautiful red and gold and green stuff. They make it in long strips and sew it together. People wear it from weddings and special occasions these days, but it used to be for royalty. Granny's part, I think he upset the wrong person or he got caught up in something and killed. Whatever it was, she had to look after herself. She met Granda when he was on show leave in Ghana, that's all I know. I think something odd might have happened there, maybe dodgy, maybe weird, like pantaloon weird. They never liked to talk about why Granny left home. Anyway, they were both really, really religious, and there are a lot of crosses around the house. And that's how Mo was raised, too. The other of these two lost students was called Peter, like his father, and my granddad. He left Beirut because... Ah, uh, okay, there was a civil war in London between... sort of between the Christians and the Muslims, but it was more complicated than that. Went on a long time, lots of interference with the West, obviously overspill from Israel and Palestine. It's always complicated, and I don't really get all of it. Granda was a Christian, and I think they were pretty much running the government for a long time. They're Christians, not Granda. Anyway, for some reason, he had to get out. He had relatives in Scotland, so he came here. Uh, changed his name. <laughs> Actually, there's a story there. Uh, it's why my name's McIntyre, not something Arabic. Um, Granda had decided he was going to stay in Scotland, so he wanted to change his name. I think partly he wanted to make Scotland his home. And partly I wanted his kids, uh, my pa was his oldest, to fit in better. So he wrote to a whole bunch of clan chieftains asking to be adopted in the clan, since he's had to leave his home and find a new one. Most of them didn't reply, a couple sent a polite no, and only one sent back this huge letter, talking about the hanging clearances, and how he had to leave the place he grew up himself, and he said he discussed it with the clan elders, and they said yes. He uh, accepted the allegiance offer. That was the chief of the Macintyres. Aye, they sent a certificate. Granda used to keep it over the mantelpiece in a fancy frame. And he changed his name to Peter McIntyre, married a Scots girl. And he named his eldest son Peter McIntyre too. Told him he had to study in Scotland. He even bought a cottage up near Glen Noe in Argyleshire. Uh, we used to go there for holidays. I went kayaking on the River Orl once I fell in. <laughs> I'm no good with a paddle. Anyway, I'm skipping ahead. Um, Ma and Pa met at uni and got married after they both finished their training. And then they had me a few years later, which, if I'm honest, might have been a bit of a mistake for them. What? Why? Well, I think I was not the sort of kid they expected. They're very respectable. Ma's family are very Christian, and Grandad tried maybe too hard to be as Scottish as you could possibly be. And so it's like when you feel like you don't really belong anywhere, you try fitting so hard. Pa ignored anything that was inconvenient and was really inconvenient. I talked in church, I didn't like school, I didn't like it when they dressed me up in little girly dresses, I didn't want to play quietly with dolls. 
They could afford au pairs and nannies because they were both lawyers, so we got left with them. Someone nice, someone just mean. There was this one Polish lady who used to take me to a theatre where her son worked. I liked her. I was never going to be the way they wanted me to be, and I gave up on it by the time I got to high school. I made friends with boys and their own kind of girls. I was the class joker. I was always in trouble. Uh, they didn't know what to do with me. They tried to find nice kids for me to be friends with, but they just thought I was weird. And I knew it was weird, you know. Because of my presence, I always knew inside there was something wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with you. You sure? You don't know where it comes from. Well, I said it came from the devil. What if it is from the devil? Joe stopped and put his hand on the wall, checking for something. Where are we? Oh, my phone. Eh, uh, yeah, not far, I think. Right, let's keep going. You want me honest opinion about the devil stuff? Yeah. I reckon it's science. It's just science we don't know yet. That's in has to be an explanation. Joe, I've met a puka. I've seen weird stuff too, Jen. We used to think the plague was a punishment from God, didn't we? Now we know it's it's a bug. I think it's a bacteria bacterium. Yeah, that. Comes from Mongolian marmots. That's why it's illegal to eat marmots in Mongolia. Is it now? Yeah. Anyway, like I was saying, my ma definitely said my present was from the devil. I learned how to do it when I was really small, like before I knew there was anything weird about it. I thought it was just something you could do, like some people can bend their fingers backwards or wiggle their ears. Ma came in one day and I was making my teddies dance together and she absolutely freaked out. She made me pray with her for like an hour and made me promise never to do it again. But she wasn't surprised, she was more like something she was hoping wouldn't happen had happened, you know? And now she had to do her best to hide it. I'm lucky mine isn't obvious. I think my dad suspected something was off. Or he couldn't be sure. Yeah, mine is hard to miss when I use it. So I just uh, stop doing it in front of her. I try to be good. I try to be what they wanted. But I just couldn't. Couldn't be normal. Couldn't be well behaved. Couldn't be a girl. Some of their own kind of kids I made friends with in high school were queer. And I learned stuff from them. I went on the internet. Found out there were more genders than just boy and girl. And I tried to tell my parents. But mm, I ignored it. And more for her it was just more sign that I was letting the devil in my heart. One day when I was about 14, I was trying to decide what GCSEs I wanted to do. Let me guess, you want to do theatre? I've got it, and music. Eh, Ma didn't like it. Told me I had to do maths or science. I absolutely lost it. I, I, what did you do? I made the crucifix on them all come alive. Oof. Yeah, it was pretty blasphemous and nasty. I'm not surprised she threw me out. After, I was hiding in my room and Pa came up and he said I was going to go and live with Auntie Aqua in London. That was my sister. Her name's Aqua, but English people don't bother trying to say things right. Sorry, but you don't. Ha, <laughs> nah, you're right. I was scared because Ma didn't talk much about Auntie Aqua, so I didn't know what to expect. She moved to London before I was even born, but it turned out her and Ma were completely different. I love Auntie Aqua and all my cousins, all four of them. Uh, the minute I got to her house, she gave me a massive hug and then loads of food. Ma didn't cook much, she was too busy, and all the old pears and stuff. It was a bit patchy with them. Polish lady was good, uh, but Auntie Aqua made these massive pots of rice and plantain and meat, Ghanaian food, and she had loads of friends over all the time laughing in the kitchen. And my cousins, their friends were over all the time too, and there were usually a couple of foster kids around. 
I was much happier there. I couldn't be completely honest about everything, but at least I could say I wanted to do theatre and clowning and stuff. Auntie had this old record player and a collection of records. I used to listen to them. I started buying my own records too. Weird stuff. You remember what you sang to me in Windsor? Yeah. Came out of you. What was it? It's from an opera called The Immortal Hour, which was based on a play written by this man who called this fellow who pretended to be a Hebridean woman called Fiona MacLeod. I found the record in a junk shop in Edinburgh. It's about this fae, uh, the Dark Fool, who bewitches a fairy woman to get her home so she can marry the High King of Ireland. Does it all go wrong? Aye. Usually does in them stories. Yeah, I used to listen to it over and over. I almost wore it out. I wondered if I was some sort of lost fairy, you know? A changeling child. I still do. I would explain the loss. It would. So, yeah... Auntie Aquel let me do music and theatre GCSEs and do summer classes in acrobatics, even though I'm pretty sure her and Uncle Jimmy had the stretch to afford it with so many kids around needing stuff paid for. I left after I finished my GCSEs. I didn't want to do A-levels and honestly, it was nice there, but I never really felt at home, you know? Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I guess you would. Hey, is that a ladder? Ah, oh, thank... Yeah, that's the one. Finally, get some light on me. There was indeed a ladder, in a shadowy alcove just off the side of the sewer, half obscured by fallen yellow Victorian brickwork. Quick as a flash, Jen slipped through the gap and started up the rusty metal ladder. Near the top, they found a metal hatch. They pushed at it. It did not move. How do I get it open? I thought you just pushed this. I won't budge. Can you try? Hang on, let me squeeze through. Joe slid his bulky frame through the gap and passed where Jen was waiting, hauled himself up the ladder. He put his shoulder up against the hatch above him and pushed. The ladder beneath him made an unpleasant squeaking noise, but the hatch still did not move. He climbed back down, the bottom of his stomach sinking. <sighs> yeah, that's stuck all right. What do we do now? Let me think. They both squeezed back into the main passage of the sewer and wiped yellow brick dust off themselves. Joe was glad of the darkness to hide the colour draining from his face. Back to the society, then. That's the only way out you can be sure of now. There might be a killer waiting for us. Yep. Back we go, then. Yep. Wearily, our heroes trudged off into the stinking darkness. Behind them, in the tunnel, a shadow removed itself from the wall. Something long and wickedly sharp glinted in its right hand. It paused, bracing itself against the wall, watching very still. And then, in a flurry of darkness, it sprang towards Joe and Jen. The Pantaloon Society is a Cytogram Hair production by Lou Sutcliffe. A.M. Pronouns. Distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License. This episode used sounds from freesound.org. For full accreditation, content warnings and transcripts, please see the show notes. To be kept up to date on the show, please do follow on Twitter, at Pantaloonsong. Farewell, dear audience, and thank you for listening.